I'm Commander Shepard, and this is my favorite podcast on the internet. Scott Walker, and with me tonight are my co-hosts, in no particular order, unless you're, you know, secretly with the Illuminati and know what the order really means. I'm Sam. I'm the Herald of Andraste. I'm Trent, and I'm actually Gerald from The Witcher. (laughs) Oh, and I'm Mac, and this is my favorite podcast on the Citadel. (laughs) You and, weirdly enough, you and Mark Mir. I don't know how that worked out. (laughs) Oh, were we doing a thing where we all quoted Bioware stuff, and I was just like, nope, screw it, CD Projekt Red. <laughs> no, uh, no, not really. No. Just whenever Sam said that, that was the first thing I could think of, especially when you chimed in with... Geralt. <laughs> okay, so... Geralt is a badass. Oh, I love him. I love his new beard. And he's a dedicated father. Well, the beard doesn't last long. Oh, you know what? That That's a horrible spoiler. I hate you now. Real-time beard regrowth, though, with, with beard DLC. That would be amazing! No, that's really... Is it real? Like, yeah. Your DLC is the worst of DLC. <laughs> but it's free, so or you don't right, care. It's right up there with horse armor. Yeah, those are the first two DLC packs, is beard styling and horse armor. In any case. And they're free, because CD Projekt will not let that joke go. So. But tonight, uh, we are talking about Bioware's output and overall direction in the intervening years since the EA buyout and the ups and downs and whether or not we have hope for the future or we should just pin it all on Beamdog. I don't know. Patrick Weeks is the wave of the future. Okay, sorry. I wish I could say I knew much about Bioware before the EA buyout, but I kind of only played Mass Effect. Well, that, one, that's, a, that's the only thing. one before the well, right? we we had to know about it because it's the most popular Canadian video game developing studio. It, it, so it was it was a prerequisite of our education. It, it's it's like listening to Rush b- yeah. before you can, you're allowed to go to lunch break. It's just Rush part of Canadian high school. It's okay. Uh, people seem to forget occasionally, but I am actually not from Canada. I know the accent, you know, the Canadian accent that I have kind of lures you into a false sense of security. It's okay, sweetheart. I'm in the same boat you are. So, <laughs> And I am Canadian. Look, I just spent a long time in high school proud of the fact that Canada produced way better RPGs than Japan, and now I'm not sure that's true. Well, Your heart sounds know. broken. I don't know of any good RPGs from East Tennessee, so... <laughs> oh, no, take that back. Evil Quest. That one came from East Tennessee. Proud to say. <laughs> West Tennessee? Go f*** Yes. Who cares about West Tennessee? Okay. They're a whole different state as far as I care. So, I guess I, I just want to say that my first sort of impression of um, Bioware's outfit since EA took the... Took, took the uh, the, the top slot in their direction has been that there's too many Biowares. There's too many of them. 
there was like that land rush of renaming new or new acquisitions bioware just because people liked the name and i have to explain to people repeatedly that no no the old republic is a mythic game it really is you mean from bioware texas no mythic they're, they're mythic i know <laughs> yeah the bioware austin team are they even still around or did they kind of get yeah, they're, they they're shuttered. I can't remember. No, they There's they so many companies did. They were on that weird multiplayer thing that got canceled, and now I don't yeah. know. Shadow Realms, they were on that. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Okay, and then even even though and even within the Edmonton campus, it is just they they threw they basically doubled the staff there to be able to make the their crunch, and it's just like oh, you've now lost the entire cult corporate culture in a sea of new guys. I mean, that's the real problem. I don't think it's necessarily John Musatello sticking them to a two-year you know, release calendar. Well, now, you kind of bring up an interesting point. Bioware has kind of gone through three transitions, if you ask, or two transitions, if you ask me. There was the pre-EA buyout, the post-EA buyout, and the, like, now, where they're at now. Because it seems like even right now they're in a different area than they were right after the EA buyout. Well, I mean, just comparing uh, Dragon Age 3, the, the lead-up to Dragon Age 3, where it was, you know, it, it, get to, it was allowed to get delayed and take its time, and no one was cramming a season pass in my face like they were for Mass Effect 3. I mean, e even that speaks to, I think, a major shift in what EA is doing. At various places, and how Bioware has managed to push back against some of the otter corporateness of uh, big publishers. You know, in fairness, this company seems to have survived it better than others. It seems like a lot of other companies, when they get the whole big name studio buying you out, it just changes the entire dynamic to the point to where they crumble. Oh, you've seen it. You mean like Origin and Bullfrog and Westwood and Maxis and Criterion? Yes, I'm say, keep going. Name <laughs> a few more. And Dice? Oh, Dice. Yeah. yeah. Can't forget Dice. In, you know, in all and reality. Eventually vis oh, Visceral. I, I, oh, Visceral's done. I, Visceral's I already like, gone. But, but that's the thing. There is, a, there is a cycle with EA acquisitions. EA takes a company that's a competent developer, you know, and, and at the very least has some degree of creativity and originality behind it. And it throws a bunch of money at the development cycle of future games, but it also shapes the trajectory of those games to meet uh, the largest audiences possible. And that kind of compromises, well, how unique those games ultimately turn out to be. Um, and Visceral Games has gone through such an interesting transition because, I don't know about you guys, I love Dead Space. I, I like Dead Space 1. I it's just a, finished the first one. It, it is a, I, it is I, a I pretty love, competent love letter to System Shock 2. Yeah, I, I love Dead Space. I thought Dead Space 2 was a frigging classic. And Dead Space 3, although its story was kind of interesting, I felt bungled everything it could have done, and every choice that I didn't agree with seemed to be to, to widen the demographic, which is hilarious because ultimately it closed that demographic. So it's it's just another victim of EA. You know, we have these studios that have potential and then are scooped up by EA because 
Obviously, they want to increase their portfolio of studios, uh, but bending them to meet the needs, the perceived needs of a market clearly isn't increasing the longevity of the studios themselves. But then that makes Bioware such a unique case. Well, I mean, well, for now, for now, I mean, we already did. We, we already saw four or five of the biggest names in the company. Oh, absolutely. I'm not leave. saying, you know, that this is well, a good uniqueness to have. I, 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 like, Scott, I know that you're, you're, you're hitting that nail. Um, if, I, I do human resources for a living, and I can tell you that the idea that when the old guard leaves a company, the company stops being good is is really misplaced. Well, I think it's, I think it's not it's not fair to the cut because old, the the reality is sometimes old things need to crumble and make way for new and better things. That's right. not always the case. I, I'm I'm really hesitant but. to sort of apply auteur theory to video games. But I think that there is a Bioware that was founded by two doctors from Calgary, from Edmonton. Who, who are no longer there. <laughs> who, who decided that no, a prosperous career in socialized medicine wasn't worth it. We want to make games because we love that. And, you know, just jumping contract to contract to get things done is a very different Bioware from the one where Casey Hudson is creative director of half of it. And I mean, I think there is, I think even though the, I, I think there are two corporate cultures and they are drastically different and maybe we're coming to a middle right now, or maybe the whole thing's going to fall apart with, if they can't, uh, with the next launch of an IP, I don't know. Oh, I was just going to say that you usually like, not to generalize, but when it comes to video game developers, you can kind of gauge the health of a studio, at least in terms of its creative output, by the quality of their latest title. And just looking at Dragon Age Inquisition, I don't know what the panel's thoughts are on that game, but it's one of the best Western-developed RPGs I've played in quite some time. I was really, I was, I, I was obviously impressed by the production value, but I, I thought thought it was a very competent game in terms of its scope and overall design so i i can't i don't i don't get the impression that the studio whichever biowares plural was working on that game is is worse than it once was but that's just me if anything i think the new blood has made me more interested in what bioware is now than it has been over the last little bit. And I'm not sure what that's really going to mean. I think we're going to have to see the next Mass Effect for you know any kind of confirmation on this. But as somebody who didn't really follow the Bioware teams that closely at all, so outside of David Gator and, like, I guess Casey Hudson occasionally, I, just, I didn't even pay attention to him that much, and Mike Ladlaw for Dragon Age... You know, even there's still probably more developers than I know for a lot of Western companies. But I didn't really pay that close attention to them. But now, now I kind of know some of these folks. Yeah, the developers that are there now seem to be more noticeable to me because I had a little bit of interaction with the folks that were at Big Huge Games in Baltimore before that crumble, uh, the Amalur Reckoning crumble. And I've seen a good chunk of them now working on these new Bioware games. They moved up to Canada and they're now working for Bioware. The, you know, the creative lead for Amalur Reckoning is now working as a, I don't know, creative director or whatever for the next Mass Effect. And that 
is good for me because I enjoyed the output they had. I enjoyed what they were, you know, what they brought to the table on that one. So I'm thrilled to see what's coming now, you know, what's down the road, because I have no love for any of the old guard. I didn't know the old guard, so bring it on. Give me some new blood. I'm okay with that in a lot of gaming aspects. So, well, I, I think... Too. I think the the trajectory of the Dragon Age franchise and the Mass Effect franchise has kind of been set. I don't think there are a ton of changes they're going to make to the formula for the next Mass Effect, and the next Mass Effect game might be better for it. But I think the real test of Bioware in the future will be their next new IP. Which, we could have saw something with Shadow Realms. And, well, I think... I'm I, okay not I that. think pulling Shadow Realms speaks to actually a smart direction on their part. That mm-hmm. they, yes. They've come. They they are a developer like Blizzard that understands the sunk cost fallacy, and the fact that so many other companies nowadays are trying to put out these four v one interactive games and see you know ride the newest wave of cool fads. I think they caught onto that early and said, you know what, other people were doing it. We're going to be swamped with these things. We can come up with something different and better. Is what I would like to hope. Yeah, don't follow the puck. Go to where the puck is going, right? Wow, that made that that made me sound Canadian, didn't it? <laughs> it made sense though. I mean, <laughs> that's that's some classic uh, Gretzky wisdom right there. <laughs> but so so we so we should not look forward to the post-apocalyptic apocalyptic zombie game that I'm sure exactly. someone told them they should do. It's yeah. also a MOBA. Oh god, don't. Uh, also, don't make don't do a Dragon Age. Mass Effect, Jade Empire, mashup, MOBA. I don't want yeah. that. I don't want. I don't want heroes. You of- know, we could we could be completely wrong, and that could be the next thing down the pike. Is exactly that. You know, you have your MOBA where Garrus and Anders and you know all of them can fight together on these sides and do that stuff. Heaven knows they've put in enough multiplayer aspects into these games over the last little bit, but so- they've got to be reaching up for something. But I hope, really hope, that they are going a different direction and trying to succeed on the games alone, standalone games, without going the stupid, I say stupid because I don't like it, online MOBA slash 4v1 online play games. So so can we have, like, the Mass Effect Otome game where I hope Garrus Senpai notices me? Well, no, because that yeah, clearly is not... Now, that, okay, that is already Mass Effect. In, I know, in just teasing. And I mean, two, that doesn't sell 10 million copies, and I think it that It would sell number, one to me! I think that it, number is still relevant to them. I think it sells 10 million copies when you hide it under a third-person shooter and call it an RPG. Yeah. It works great. <laughs> you might be right. I'm sorry, I guess for me, you know, playing those games, I really didn't care for a lot of the action part. I was too busy being like, so who do I get to make out with next? And Scott yeah, me going, and Sam. We, had, we have priorities, Mac. Yeah, me and Sam are definitely, we think Bioware games are dating Sims, not action RPGs. <laughs> it's kind of sad, but I think it and works for us. Funny. Hey, hey, yeah, I can stand some shooting in between my dating elements. Well, that's the thing, though, is I think uh, the shooting got to be a bit of, and I'm going to move this into some design changes, the shooting got to be a hell of a slog in the later Mass Effects, where um, in Mass Effect 1 it felt more like punctuation. You'd go through a couple of fights, talk to a guy, have a fun elevator scene, fun, whatever. (laughs) 
A lot you, of elevator scenes, yeah. You, you would have an interesting conversation and then wait for the elevator door to open. But you, well, they, and they, now it feels like you would just be sitting in this gun grind for well, I mean, you, you know, went from twenty to 50, twenty to forty minutes at a time before you finally get to the bit you're actually interested. Well, in. let's face it, you went from pew pew lasers to actual guns that have ammo and need to no. be reloaded. Well, not not even that. I think it well, was the, I mean, the combat went to you just oh, mash your one you mash your one button power until but, everything but, is dead. But I think. That's the thing. Like, EA took a franchise that was uh, a sci-fi RPG with third-person shooter elements, and because cover-based third-person shooters were very big at the time, as you remember, Gears of War was a big franchise, Mass Effect became a third-person cover-based shooter with dumbed-down RPG elements and people who love Mass Effect 2 and believe me I like Mass Effect 2's character and characters and stories a lot. The fact is it's a third person shooter. It is not a RPG in the same way the original Mass Effect was. If you think so you're dreaming in Technicolor and Mass Effect 3 took that action oriented gameplay and amped it up a notch. And again, I felt as though the RPG elements were watered down. And I'm not saying that a game is made better by being an RPG, but in the case of a sci-fi, you know, trekking across the universe kind of adventure, I think action elements like that should be downplayed, or it becomes, like Scott said, just a slog of shooting. Well, and that's just it. You went from having a game that really felt like a pure RPG in a lot of ways to COD. And I'm sorry. For me, that was was a little bit... Okay, it was... Right down, right down to an angry black sorry. man yelling games of, at Gears you of War. You know, and the sad part was we played Gears of War around the same time. Well, sad or not, I think I, I don't want to jump on the. I don't want to necessarily uh, imply by what Trent and I have just said about design that uh, they have been dumbing things down for either the casuals or the mass market, which are kind that's of the exactly same what thing. I want to imply. Well, I, exactly I think I, I, I don't think that's necessarily EA's like, thing. I think. Oh, I, I, I absolutely think it's EA's. No, thing. I, think I think they were I pushing towards game... a more mainstream focus even before then. Because you look at Jade Empire, there's a lot of things in there that are sort of deliberately uh, more, uh, more casual friendly. It's an action setup. It's only thirty hours long. There's, it's not really stat intensive. It's thirty not hours. Weird. I remember it being more like twelve. Well, more to the point, that that design philosophy on Jade Empire didn't really work, considering its commercial sales. And yet, it's... And like, I, I don't know, but everyone I know pegged Jade Empire is like a hardcore traditional Bioware RPG, and in many ways, it is kind. It's kind of similar to the original Kotor. I felt in an Asian setting. You know, that's that's neither here nor there. Like, again, I will reiterate that I believe, due to trying to sell more copies, the game's focus was changed to appeal to the lowest common denominator. And oh. the, on, the only way that they could have validated that to me more is if the advertisements were full of Doritos and Mountain Dew. I don't want to disagree with you on some of that, but at the same time, I must be somewhere near the lowest common denominator because I agree they cut out the RPG elements completely as far as the interactions with your character building and you know all of that kind of development that got cut back completely and made into a more mainstream action shooter by all means it happened but I didn't care for the RPG elements enough in the original Mass Effect to care uh, 
they didn't do anything for me. I wasn't so in love with the original RPG elements in that game that it mattered. Kind of like Sam, you know, we, we kind of joke about uh, Bioware games being, you know, dating sims, but I played Mass Effect for the character interactions. If it hadn't had an ounce of combat in there, I would have still played it and enjoyed it just as much because that's why I played that. I played it for the story, for everything that was going on around there. And while they dumbed down the actual inner, you know, the gameplay and combat sections, it worked. It gave me just enough to get through without bogging me down in something that I didn't care about. You know, I liked Mass Effect 1 for meeting the characters and what I could do with them. I couldn't care less. I could care less about the whole interactions that you run into when you're out shooting and driving the Mako and all that crap. Didn't need it didn't do anything for me. So I like the trend that they went in. They they appealed to me more with 2 and 3 than they did 1. But it's just so hard to call it an RPG, really, is, it, it, you well, know, when you think about it. I mean, the, the thing that always, like, come back to on Mass Effect 3, when we talk about Dragon Age in a second, but we'll, the thing I always come back to with Mass Effect 3 is at the end, when you're saying goodbye to everyone, you stop halfway through to have a turret minigame. And turret minigame is the most bullshit non-game game activity ever. Oh, and that it, bit sucked. And it's just like, and it is there because someone, someone said, hey, it's been more than 20 minutes since you've killed anything. Let's have send seven minutes of turret. Yeah, that was some bizarre planning, especially considering how meaningful the scene was beforehand. Well, it, and then it, to make matters worse, that turret bit was just kind of dickish. Well, no, it, it wasn't it's even boring dick- and dickish. I didn't it, like it's, it's turret. It's it's bite the turret. It's the stupidest gameplay mechanic. Let's face it. I mean, people, the majority of people who play games like Mass Effect and Dragon Age, the gameplay. There is people. Yes, the gameplay is appealing, but the majority of people I've talked to, truthfully, it, it's like Max said. It's all for the character interactions and the storytelling. Even if the storytelling has holes in it, even for Mac me. Walters is a <laughs> yes, we know Mac Walters is a hack. And yes, there are some holes, but I think back to who writes the characters in a lot of these games, which David Gator is kind of... I love the man. I think he's fantastic. He writes really fun characters that are so memorable and lines that are so quotable. (laughs) I mean... Why don't... Oh, yeah, I agree. I'd like to know from, you know, since me and Sam seem to be on this one side, what about Pryor? You know, has the story aspect and the character aspect in your opinion, changed drastically since the EA buyout. Well, we'll see. I think oh, I sorry. think that, well, as the one who's played before the buyout. I've, I've played one. I have as well. I know, but I'm, I'm, gen- yeah, I'm going to step on Sam because that was a question for me and Trent. Sorry. <laughs> uh, and I'm going to say that I think uh, the pacing has definitely changed. They've tried to take a lot of what... Uh, a lot of it is trying to make the stories conform to sort of a more Hollywood screen screenplay formula. Yeah. So things, um, so things all come to a climax at once, right before your big mission, and then you get the big party at the end, and everyone's happy forever. Whereas um, I think uh, Baldur's Gate and one and two got to be a little more freeform and go on sidetracks for extended periods and have character arcs resolve independent of the story arc. And it, it doesn't it doesn't make sense to anyone who's taken a uh, a lot of writing courses because video game writing is very different, especially at in those in those days. And I think it it, it, it had its own feel and its own charms, and now Mass Effect 2 just feels like, honestly, like a J.J. Abrams Star Trek movie in a lot of ways. 
So really shiny and no substance? Well, not necessarily no substance, but much more shiny and much more just like, these people have really apparent obvious emotions that have a defined structure to how they resolve. But again, I think... There are three beats and not a lot of push and pull. Hmm. I'm going to agree and disagree with you, Scott, because I I will agree that earlier games, um, I felt were kind of more open and certainly less cinematic, but I would say that the onset of the cinematic game design for Mass... Well, it was Mass Effect. It was the original Mass Effect to me. It it was pre-EA buyout, technically. That, that was the game that I thought followed the Hollywood approach to narrative storytelling. Well, I, that one was def- I feel like Mass Effect 1 still had that episodic thing where you would hit a planet, and that, would, that planet would be a story arc. It, it felt a little more serialized uh, than, say, Mass Effect 2, where I can it agree is with that, actually. just A to B to C to D, and, and then climax. I mean, when I think back to playing Mass Effect 1, you know, I, I totally see where Scott is, is coming from with it. Because when you think about jumping to each planet, you're getting a very self-contained story. Um, I mean, when you look at when Caden and Ashley, whichever one you had, kicks the bucket. I mean, that's a really, if you like those characters, it was an emotional impact. But it was a good ending to that story arc. Like, that was the Vermeer story. Not the Vermeer. I'm trying to remember what that planet's that that was the story of that, that planet. planet's story. <laughs> and I believe then you were after right, that, you had the story of being on the citadel again while everything's going to hell. Yeah. So I mean, exactly. I think in one sense that the serialized writing is it was really well done. I I did like it a lot, if just for the fact that I got the um, the emotional beats kind of on a on a cue that I could anticipate. Whereas sometimes I found the writing, especially in Mass Effect 2 and 3, sometimes it was a little all over the place, and some scenes that should have been more emotionally enriching didn't always come across that way. And other scenes that were really well done, sometimes I feel like they came maybe in the wrong instance depending on, I guess, your trajectory of where you decided to go. Um, like, I think to Mass Effect 2, and I think of, like, Thane's story. Thane's story is one of my favorites just because I think it's an interesting case of how you have a guy with space cancer, essentially, trying to be a renegade. And it's great. And I love it. You know, but then I look at a character like Miranda and I think her complete storyline's a f- show. Well, and that, that, well, that could <laughs> It makes that. no sense sometimes well, why we should again, care about her. Well, some of that has to do that uh, Bioware has classically always divided characters between writers. So yes. that, um, so, like, David Gator is the guy who did HK-47, he did Joey Bindo, he did Minsk and Boo, and then Drew and Jennifer Helpler and other, and Pat Fleets and other members of the writing staff would take other characters in those games. And so, we're seeing that the Mass Effect team really suffered from a lot, suffered in a lot of different ways in the EA shakeup, and so having really uneven character quality is just a symptom of well, and, and it's super noticeable in two, just because, like I said, with Miranda's story, it's really hard well, to care about what's going I, on. I with think her. we're focusing. I think Hold we're on. focusing a lot on the Mass Effect games. Well, no, but no, I think I, there's there's I did worse promise, in other ones I did as well. promise a drag. We'd switch over to the Dragon Age. <laughs> well, side. I was gonna say, I think Dragon Quest Two has Dragon been, Quest Two. Or, sorry, Dragon Age Two is the biggest example of uneven characters. Oh, absolutely! Like, well, I just want to get one last pot shot and say, oh, it's it's the terrible characters that are tied to servers. But, I wonder. <laughs> I mean, and you can say it for both Mass Effect Two, and you can say the same for Dragon Age. I mean, look at 
And to, to reiterate Mac's point, sometimes you can play a game that you don't love and continue to be invested specifically because you enjoy the narrative and, and the interaction and dialogue between the characters that are on display. Dragon Age 2 is one of those games where, excluding two very specific characters, I really had to push to complete it. Mm-hmm. Well, and the think... story doesn't necessarily look like much of a story until you step back from it, and even then, there's a lot of stuff that you just see got rushed out the door, and you just... This is a fight you have to do because they wrote a fight, and you're doing it. That happened, too, because of EA in that case, and I think that is one thing that really hit them, because I'll never forget picking up Dragon Age Awakening and enjoying that expansion to the original Dragon Age origin, and seeing a little insert in there that had the number two on it, and a date, and it was just telling us, oh yeah, we just finished this first right game, the this big yeah. expansion, but we've yeah. got the second one coming, and we've got a date for it already. Pre-order it for Christmas to get Horse um, <laughs> Armor. We're talking about like a, a DLC and, and narrative. Mm-hmm. <sighs> okay, I, I, I've played all of the... I've, I've bought... All of the DLC for all the Dragon Age games, because I'm, I'm one of those people. Uh, so um, am I, so you're not alone. <laughs> and and the DLC that involved Corypheus. <gasps> that was so bad. Really? No, I have a problem with it, only because when you if you don't play that DLC, you kind of don't really have a clue when you get into Mass Effect, or Mass Effect, Jesus Christ, <laughs> Dragon Age 3, Dragon who Age you're dealing it- with. <laughs> And that, no, okay. and that's fair. And that's fair. Like my I, best friend was a great sad. example of this. She she had not played the DLC for the like for the Corinthian story. So when she started playing Inquisition, she was like, "Why should I care about this guy?" Well, and then I told her, well, so "Go back and go back and play that DLC." And sure enough, she was well, like, "Okay, stuff makes sense now." Well, I think well, Dragon Age has a problem of embedding sequel hooks in yeah. weird places. Let's like, just there, there's awkward. a little too much. Uh, you even just like say grabbing the comic books. There's too much stuff that should be core text that is you know all there in the well, manual. To, to that point, um, what I was what I was going to say about that DLC is I really enjoyed it, and I realized as I was completing it, and it's only like two hours long or or something like that. It's short. I I enjoyed it more than I liked the main game. And I realized that the revelation about Hawk and his lineage and and the stuff that he goes through and the, the moral dilemmas that happen when you're down there and the intrigue and the, the, the lore and Corypheus himself, all of it was better than the main game of Dragon Age 2. I'm sorry if you're a Dragon Age 2 fan. I don't understand you whatsoever. Well, and here's the thing, friend. You're right, but that should have been in that main game. Well, yes exactly. and no, because that's and not... Like, like, did, did they just, did, did they just like, did they rush Dragon Age 2 so much that they, they threw out a really good idea as DLC and instead focused on this mundane fight between the mages and the Templars and the Canari and Hawk? Is I, that it? I, I like, think they weren't exactly... They, they, they kind of went into writing two runners. Uh, they, they had seven years to work on Dragon Age 1 and build a world. And they went into 2 with seven weeks to pre-plan. And so late in the game, they find something that, oh, this would be a really great game. Let's make this 3. And okay, we can use our mandated DLC to introduce him. It, it, it is... But it's so awkward. Like, the, 
Like, it's a sow's ear, and it's almost maybe a change person. Well, that's just it. Like I said, you know, you go into playing Inquisition, let's say, before you do 2, which is, again, what my bestie did, because she played Inquisition here. And she got to Corythius, and just, she didn't understand the point of him. And I had to tell her, I'm like, well, I bought you 2, why didn't you go play that? She's like... (laughs) Okay, I guess I'll go do that. So she went back to her playing too and was like, you know, now I get it, but that's really dumb. And it, it is fair, dumb. To be, to be fair, like, I, I'm not sure that would be the case for everyone. Kelsey, oh, my, I know. My, girl, my girlfriend Kelsey, for instance, she wasn't privy to me playing Dragon Age 2 or its expansions. And when Corypheia shows up in Dragon Age Inquisition, she specifically said, whoa, he's a badass. So, like, I, I don't think Corypheus's presentation in Inquisition was poor or suffered as a result of not being included in 2. I just think that 2 would have been a better game if parts of the narrative weren't partitioned for DLC. Yes, because I didn't get a chance. I, I, you know, I didn't play the DLC for 2. When I finished 2, I was done with 2. So I didn't play any of the DLC for that. And it still didn't really impact me when Corypheus came along. I was like, oh, this guy's neat. And then it just felt like there was more I should have known, but didn't. Well, I was I like, oh, they're going to explain this later. Explore his background yeah, in the course of the like, narrative. Well, that's just like, it. There's going to be more, but then I was like, oh, I read up and I was like, oh, he's from DLC from 2. Well, I think that's something that happens with a lot of companies nowadays is they make games, they've got so much time to make a game. They've got so much content they can't include in the game. So does it become DLC? Does it get cut completely? Does it move on to the sequel? You know, you never know. And in this case, you know, we do know because we saw exactly how it happened. And I'd love to get some sort of post-mortem out of, out of the staff on both of these games and how they jigsawed them together, but I don't think that's going to happen for another 10 years once someone else quits. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, and that's I don't... Like, here's the thing, it's, I'm not opposed to how they did it, I guess it's just kind of frustrating when you, because, you know, as someone who did play the DLC, I still kind of looked at Corythius' introduction, and I was just kind of like, okay, give me a reason to give a shit now. And then as the game went on, I did a better job of being like, okay, this is why you should care about what Corythius is doing. Because I didn't, like I said, I didn't care for the Corythius DLC, I liked the story aspect of it, but I thought the rest of it was just kind of like, oh, okay, I'm gonna go fight some smoppies, it, and I guess do that. Slot, and right? it's, it's boring. It's, other than oh. the story elements, it's boring to play. Whereas you play the Felicia Day one, which is complete and utter fan fodder. And it's, I hated it. I hated I it too. I, I couldn't stand it. And I, and I like Felicia. I really do. I thought her character was rubbish. Oh, and that's just it. Like, that one there, I, I kind of looked at it and I was like, why did we bother with this? I, I, I say... The, the short know. film they made to promote that DLC was better than the whole thing. <laughs> I, I will say that throughout Dragon Age 2, I was really hungry to consume the same quality of lore that I had during Dragon Age Origins and Awakening. I, I'm one of those people who will spend hours on a wikia looking up the different ties, and I know what the names of all the Elder Gods were, and I, and I know like what's happened in every single blight and all that jazz. Like I, I, I'm so into this stuff. So the one good thing I will say about the DLC from Dragon Age 2 too, uh, is that unlike the main narrative of the game, it really did expand the world. We now we now understood that magisters were a thing, and that they did enter the Golden City and turned it into the Black City, what have you. And even with Felicia Day's character, we learned that members of the Kun didn't necessarily have to be Kunari. Yeah. So, like, there are elements of that DLC that I picked up on. It's just. Ah, Dragon Age 2, I really hate it. Like, yeah. <laughs> I've played it twice, so 
Yeah, I know. I, there, there, there was this weird thing that kept dragging you back to it. I don't know why. I don't know. For I me, it was always because, funny it's because to see the other side. Like it. It's because you wanted yeah. to like it. And yeah. it's sad that nobody even has mentioned that character's actual name. It's just the Felicia Day character. <laughs> Nobody's yeah. actually called her Talus. Well, no. That's, well, A, that's not her name. That's her job description. And B, they went way too. They they I would I would they drove that engine other... into the ground to make it look exactly would... like Felicia Day. Yeah, I would call her something other than Felicia Day if she didn't look and sound like Felicia Day. And act like her general <laughs> online persona in a lot of ways. See, I don't hate Dragon Age 2 as much as Trent does. I mean, I definitely was disappointed. I remember I was whining to Scott. I'm like, look, it's the same corridor I was in 20 minutes ago. Well, that's a different kind that's of a, fish. That's a different kind of issue, but I mean... I think my, my complaint is, oh, I'm halfway through this fight. Wait, no, I'm not. It just spawns seven more guys. Uh, like it does every time. I mean, I, I'm not going to lie. This is not encounter design, kids. For uh, Dragon Age dating sim, this was the game I really didn't like all the characters and had no interest in dating any of them. Well, I, I mean, Isabella's fun, but she's a bicycle. Well, now, now it's my oh, turn to compare. Who cares, though? Who I, I, cares? I, I enjoy her as a bicycle. I think it's great. I don't, I don't even... I, she, you know what? She owns it, and good for her. Isabella and Vera she's are actually the two best. characters are the two characters in that game that I'm always down for. Well, no, always. and I, I love both of them. Like, I appreciate well, that I, they are the way that they are. And now it's my turn to complain that we're talking too much about one Sorry. thing. Sorry! I'm, I'm just saying, this This is a tree. I'm a, I want to talk about a forest. Sam. The second you start out talking about dating but, options, no, no, you've gone I, too deep. I wanted to talk about the fact that the writing and the romances are actually really bad. So do that without... Uh. Okay, well, to that point, uh, Fenris, I don't know if anyone else wants to string him up, but I really do. <laughs> I, I think I think he's trying... It was an attempt to show that a character, a bad character is not by trait, so they took a bunch of JRPG hero traits... Okay, I, 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 I don't really get it. As I, quick as possible. <laughs> everyone, everyone describes Fenris as a Final Fantasy character in a Bioware game, and I don't really see that personally. Like, I get that he's angsty and he's all stylized and all he's that. He's got jazz, silver but, hair, but I. <laughs> There isn't, like, even Squall, I, I have empathy for. Like, I like that kid at the end of the day. Fenris, I, every decision uh, I made to try and make him like me only made him dislike me more. And eventually you just give up on people. Fenris yeah, like I give up on, color. like, exactly how I gave up on Squall. Yeah, Fenris just uses the same color hair dye as Sephiroth, and that's all that matters. And... You know, Gideon Emery actually did his voice, and he's also, you know, out the air, so Something. good stuff. Okay, I, but I think moving on. Mo- moving on from the quality of dating, we, we did the romance episode, but I think, I, I actually kind of want to say that I think this relationship with EA has pushed uh, a lot of Western RPG gameplay tropes into a better place. I think people are more willing to try it. I think, uh, I think that has been good overall, in a weird sense. Like, I mean, would we have gotten the Pillars of Eternity with 77,000 backers in a world where people didn't, you know, guys like Bethesda and EA weren't turning, you know, what a lot of classic Western RPG stuff into into uh, shooters and smash em ups? Yeah. Very true. You know, it's gone that direction. Well, let's face it, we have more accessibility now with these titles than, I think, a lot of the old Bioware stuff 
was. Oh, yeah, no, I mean, everyone says they love Baldur's Gate 2. I haven't played it, so I don't give any craps. I know, but it, it is, it is a, Baldur's Gate 2 is a game you're supposed to have played and loved. I and didn't I, have a PC growing up. I, I know, but I feel like Mass Effect 2 and 3 were games people did actually play and love. Well, it's, it's just like having a conversation about Deus Ex, yeah. like, the series, and people start talking about the quality of the first game, and when you get into details with them, they clearly haven't played it. It's like, <laughs> or, like the, or not to the degree that you or I may have. You can take a drink, audience. Or, or well, or System Shock 2, for instance, too. Oh, God. <laughs> that's a different... Yeah, that's a different kettle of fish. Uh, I, I would love a real System Shock 3. I really would. I, okay, I, I, I like Bioshock just fine. No, I did, but I, I still kind of want that level of beat-you-in-the-face difficulty survival horror with <laughs> a level-up system that maybe works this time. I, I personally would like Jade Empire 2, but that's because I came to Jade Empire so late. And I know it's one of Scott's favorite games, and I just remember I sat down with it, and I was in love with it. Like, I love what it came up with, and I love those characters, and I love that combat system. That is a really fun combat system. And I just, I I, I know it's never going to happen, but... No, no, I'm with you, Sam. I think Jade Empire 2 totally should happen, and I think we have the technology to make the sequel to Jade Empire really, really excellent, and something that people would just flock to. Oh, man. Um, Just think about a Jade Empire in the frostbite engine. Think about the trees. Think oh, about a uh, think about the sword fight in the bamboo grove that the frostbite engine would give us. It would, be, it would it would be nice to not use fist for everything. Maybe have some basic martial arts weapons. But um, I, one thing I will say about uh, the earlier Bioware games that kind of sticks out to me um, is the fact that they kind of always had these twists that I wasn't really anticipating um, and. It, 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 not to say that M-, M. Night Shyamalan had anything to do with the plots, but, like, Jade Empire is a good example. It, it like, does pull the rug out from under you. Like, I, I'm not going to spoil it, because, and, and even though it's it's way past spoiler territory, I mean... Go listen it's to been, RPG Backtrack, where we actually it's, talked it's about it. It's been, like, a decade and a half since the game came out, so yeah, you, you know what? It's, it by it, now. It's one I don't like spoiling. I will say that, you know what, Shodan is behind everything in System Shock 2 without a bad effect. Well, that's that's public knowledge, you know. But, but Jade Empire, know. you need you need <laughs> that gut punch. Yeah. I've never inside. played Jade Empire, so I'm the yeah, one you would well, be gut punching right now. You you should, and and the twist in that game really blew me away. And to be fair, like the twist in the original Knights of the Old Republic blew me away as well. And and yes, I need to play bo- that one too. And and, and the earlier earlier Baldur's Gate games too. Like I I, I love. Mass Effect for its cinematic approach. I really do. And I even though Dragon Age kind of has been shaky to some extent up to Inquisition, I think Inquisition's a really brilliant game. But the one thing I think I miss the most of the older Bioware games is that they set up all of these hints towards the beginning of the story that relate to a large reveal towards the end. And I never saw that reveal coming. And that's something I haven't really experienced in a video game for a long time. Now I'm so aware of classic video game tropes that I can almost always tell where a story is going before it gets there. It's not just that. I mean, when you think about Dragon Age and Mass Effect as franchises, they're pretty predictable in a lot of what they're going to do. Yeah, I I kept waiting for Dragon Age Inquisition to 
pulled the rug out from under me, and I'm like... Well, there was also opportune moments to do it. Oh, there, there were great moments to do things, and the result was... Uh... Well, I mean, I, outside of Blackwall, I guess... Blackwall was, was actually a good one. Well, Black... yeah, that's that's still a minor reveal, though. It's minor. It's it's it's, it's kind of it's a footnote. Yeah. Ultimately. Well, it's a minor reveal, and it's one of those ones where you'd only get it if you bothered to pursue a thing. Like yeah. you, you can completely ignore the fact that it even exists, and you would never find that out. And yet, that reveal is actually one of the best parts of that game. It's beautifully done. And as somebody who romanced Blackwall and scaled the wall and loved every second of it, <laughs> shut up. Okay, I didn't oh. ride the bull like you wanted to. Romance episode's done. <laughs> I know, but I'm just saying, his the storytelling for Blackwall's plotline is one of the best, and it's one of those moments where it's a genuine surprise. And the fact that Inquisition just, you wanted more moments like that, and there just wasn't as many as I was hoping, especially, you know, after you've played a game like Jade Empire, which for me, I'm trying to remember if that was the last Bioware game I had played before I'd played Inquisition. I think, I think it was. There may have been a replay of something in there. I don't count the replays. <laughs> but, I mean, for a first time. But for a first time, and I, I remember being genuinely surprised playing Jade Empire because the writing is incredibly sharp. And the lack of predictability is what sustained that story. It just kept you guessing in a lot of situations because they would be telling you one thing and you get this feeling that it's not quite right, but you have to roll with it. Whereas in Inquisition, it was just too predictable. I'd sit there and be like, yep, this is going to happen. Or yep, this character is going to I'm just going to keep tapping this button until the plot tells me who Corypheus is. And I, I was a little disappointed in that. I mean, and then even with the reveal of, with Solus, I kind of knew it was coming because the game kind of dropped enough hints that I was like... It, it, it was a bad telegraph, and it's a it's an embedded sequel book yeah. anyhow, which makes it frustrating, not like... <laughs> the ending is it's very It's frustrating, frustrating, not fun, is what that is. <laughs> yeah. And I don't care if Dragon Age 4 turns out amazing, uh, I will be frustrated by the last act of Dragon Age 3. Um, time to switch over to our later segments, but I do want to give sort of, I guess... Do we have hopes for the future? Do we see a new Mass Effect, a new Dragon Age, and a new IP being sort of, you know, a, a, a bio an as, as part of an ascended Bioware, or just a holding pattern as maybe Gator doesn't quit quite yet, and so, Meeks doesn't go quite yet? My, just to sort of answer your question, here's my thing. I'm cautiously optimistic as to where both of those franchises are going to go. Um, I wasn't fond of the way Mass Effect 3 ended, but I, I didn't hate it the way other people did. But there's the other half of me that also knows that I'm that fry gift where it says shut up and take my money because shut up and take my money. Um, I'm still going to get the level of enjoyment. I may find myself frustrated, but at the end of the day, when I play a Bioware game, I'm still having a lot of fun and I'm still enjoying, you know, what Bioware has created in terms of a world. I enjoy what they're crafting. And at the end of the day, I mean, yes, EA likes their money and their buckets full of gold, whatever. But, I mean, I just keep hoping the product at least stays con- somewhat consistent and that we don't have a fiasco like Dragon Age 2. Where, you know, hey, you got seven well, I, months. I, I don't think we'll ever see another fiasco. I just think we'll see... I, I think it's really going to depend on what this new IP they're going to launch is. And whether or not the EA contract means they get dragged back to Star Wars at some point. You never know. I mean, 
like, does anyone really talk about the Old Republic? I mean, honestly. Um, no. I mean, I know you enjoyed what little you played well, of it, but no, even you I, sat there kind of curmudgeonly going, why no, did I pay for this? No, uh, I enjoyed it until I hit Coruscant, and then it stopped being, it, it started being a checklist. That's what I mean. You it, got crusty all of a sudden, it, it was like, I don't being, like this anymore. It stopped being an RPG experience and just became a series of checklists I had to do until I pieced out. Nobody but, likes a checklist game. Mac, Trent, Hopes for the Future. Yeah, much like I said before, I like some of the new folks they've got on board. I like the idea of some fresh blood breathing into these pre-existing IP. You know, I don't mind if, you know, we get more Mass Effect and more Dragon Age and they do different things. They don't have to follow the, you know, the same thing, you know, with Mass Effect 4, in quotes, you know, whatever they end up calling it. I think it's going to be something different. And I think that will be the biggest tell for us to see which direction they're truly going, if it's going to be for the best, or if we should just expect more of the same. Because I think there's going to be a big enough dynamic change in what we see out of this fourth Mass Effect than what we saw with 2 and 3. So it'll be interesting to see where the direction goes. And yeah, I'm hopeful. Uh, I really am looking forward to seeing what happens here. Um, I, I, I'm excited to see what happens to their currently existing franchises. I'm not burnt out on any of them, uh, and I look forward to seeing what the inspiration behind their new IP is going to end up being. Uh, that said, I would really like for them to revisit some old IPs. Well, the ones uh, they can. Pardon me? The ones they can. The ones they can, sure, but, um... Uh, so, Jade Empire HD, right? No, not necessarily. <laughs> it is HD. Jade, Jade Empire would be excellent, but like remaster, sorry. Even even an RPG where you take the reins of a Jedi and it uses the Frostbite engine. I mean, the reality is uh, EA now has the rights to the Star Wars franchise, and uh, it's not as though Bioware has never gotten their hands dirty with the same franchise. So I'm not saying I'm expecting Kotor three because, as far as I'm aware, Kotor and Kotor two are both non-canon as of today. Um, but I would love to see them create a somewhat similar experience, expanding the Star Wars universe and, and putting you in the reins of a Jedi once again. I think that would be interesting. And I think it could look gorgeous uh, using the technology that they have available to them. But that's just me. Yeah, I, I think it's in, I, that's another positive, I think, is that Bioware doesn't have to build their own engines anymore because they weren't really good at it. <laughs> they did what they could. <laughs> that Aurora engine was way too old but when Neverwinter Nights came out. So you guys on. really don't want another Sonic RPG made by Bioware? Oh, let's, I pretend <laughs> that doesn't exist. I know it happened. I really do. And I, I, I appreciate it. It the was... attempt. <laughs> I'd be okay with another JRPG attempt from Bioware, just not Sonic. Yeah. <laughs> and not the same people that made the Sonic RPG. <laughs> I think one of those was Mac Walters. <laughs> okay, so uh, feedback. So last time we were talking about uh, bringing the JRPG in, into the mainstream, and I said that um, From Software's weird little cycle of Souls and Bloodborne games had sort of carved out its own little subgenre. Uh, at which point, Flamethrower uh, said that no, it was totally a Western RPG on by confusing the parts unimportant parts with the sum total of the design philosophy. So, um, you, you wrote a long post, but you're wrong completely all the way. <laughs> well, let's face it, it's a JRPG just on the principles of kind of made in Japan. Well, it, it also has a, it has, it, it's not just that it was made in Japan. 
Well, I know there's more to it, but, but it, it is that it is it is Japanese. It is asking you to learn something. Go go bonfire to bonfire. Well, it's asking you to learn something one. instead of empowering you to be the awesomest chosenest one. Yeah, I haven't played that series. I just don't pay um, attention to it. Yeah, having played all of them, I can see where both sides are coming from. So I don't like to get into the whole genre. Well, that's, that's, that's why I wanted to, to give it its own it's, box. I wanted to give them their own little box, and Lords of the Fallen can be there too. It definitely and, is its own thing, and maybe a, a castle, and maybe it, it's right next to the Castlevania box. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It, it is its own thing. Also, there's a Neptunia anime. Yes, we were I was corrected. wrong last time, and I'm, I'm okay with this correction, but I'm traumatized. May God have time. mercy upon us all. I told you we have to be weary of our purple-haired overlord Neptune. All hail Neptune. <laughs> I, I want to see her and Miku get into a fight for supremacy of the Vita shell. <laughs> did you just say Vita? Yes. <laughs> okay. take, take Sorry, a drink. I'm, I'm keeping. I'm keeping track. We're at five right now. Oh like, God! Uh, yeah. Face so, yourself. Have some water, kids. <laughs> there was a Deus Ex mention. There was a Final Fantasy mention from Trent. I mentioned Balthier from Final Fantasy XII. Um. None yeah, of these are me. I'm the, excited. Sam played nice and, this time. Yeah. None I can't remember what the fifth one was, but I'll look it up. And I it. mentioned Final Fantasy too much. I'm well, aware of this. It's you didn't mention it too much. Nope. Sam mentioned pants. So, there <laughs> that, we go. That'll That's get fine. cut. So we're uh, <laughs> viewers at home, I, I really hope this statement makes it at least into the bloopers episode. Sam, as you might have anticipated or expected, has a really weird policy on pants. And she expects everyone on the podcast to not be wearing them. Except I, has, I wear pants. It has pants. to do with some sick fetishes she has. Uh, <laughs> except I'm the one wearing pants. I wear pants. <laughs> oh, so it's about superiority then. Yes. Totally. It, it's a power trip for her. I'm not allowed to wear pants a lot of places. Um, hey! <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm blushing. I'm, this is bad. Okay. I Contact us. us right away to get your uh, <laughs> Sam fan club lapel. You can, con- you can contact, us at, contact us at askwheels <laughs> at rpgamer.com. You know, I'm surprised you're not like promoting the idea that there's a fan club cup or something. Okay, so let's not go that far. Other feedback notes is we apparently sound fun to hang out with. Uh, clearly, uh, we at, uh, uh, this is the point where we have to divulge that we all hate each other. We don't like doing this. We all we we're all terribly annoyed with everything, all of our foibles, and we would rather be running RPG Cast. So clearly, four distinct <laughs> RPG casts, one for each of us, because we can't yes. tolerate each other. They won't have us, and we can't do our own because we're. Not allowed. <laughs> okay, no, really. It's, it's some kind of rule. <laughs> it, it's a rule. Okay, but for reals, this is about the only time we actually interact with each other beyond... Um, that. except for me, because yeah. I'm married well, to that's you. Not, that's, that's not necessarily true. It's not true we, at we, all. We, we converse on the regular. It's Other ways yeah. of doing it. Yeah, and, and, and like, here's the thing. Like, for, for the viewers at home... I think we all operate on the same wavelength. Like, whenever we receive a nasty tweet or uh, a comment that doesn't make sense under the context of the editorial or opinion piece that we wrote, uh, we all, like, we can't see each other, so it's not like we can give each other a look, but we all kind of understand. That there is, there is a feeling, there is a resonance in the force that, that goes out. <laughs> 
there yes a, a, a disturbance of sorts and and i, I don't know I, like I, i'll I, just I, wake I, up I, in the middle of the day in the middle of the night it's like trend is up late reading the forums someone wrote something <laughs> extra dumb <laughs> pretty much pretty much i you know I, I live with you, so I'm sorry. Like, you're stuck with me forever unless we get a divorce, which the show always constitutes the possibilities of divorce, and I don't know why. It's it's going to be on the docket for each of us. I know. I love those two guys. Scott, I mean, I, I have to love you. I got married to you and stuff. Here, have, have a big sis. <laughs> okay, and our last uh, bit of feedback, and it's an odd idea that came out, is that um, franchise... Uh, when like that, uh, following a franchise means investing in three consoles at this point. Um, in a lot of cases, where you know, you if you want to, if you are a fan of a thing, you have to you you want the 3DS game, even if you don't necessarily have the 3DS. And that's an interesting barrier to entry. That um, I don't know if there's a whole episode in there, but I think it's a neat idea. It, it, it's an idea I want to pick at, and maybe I'll write something about it later on. Well, you should. Use Dead Space as an example, because if you actually want to follow that franchise, outside of reading a few books, you have to play the games for Xbox 360 or PS3. Uh, you have to play a mobile game for, for your phone or for your tablet. Uh, there's the Wii Railgun Shooter that was then ported to the PS3. Um, yeah, there, there's, like, it's it's one of those things where I feel like EA made it extremely difficult for anyone owning a single console to really follow the narrative that expands the entire franchise. Yeah. I know I'm going to learn it the hard way. Well, I'm, I mean, I'm halfway there with even Dragon Age, where it's like, you know, I, I, as the third game was coming out, I felt bad that I wasn't caught up with all the novels. Well, and we actually had that debate where we were going to figure out if we were going to buy it for 360 or even PS4. And I remember I was like, now I want to play with my girlfriend. So it's PS4 or nothing. Well, that's less of an issue so much as like, I yeah, no, I, I'm like, there, there's this whole novel about Tevinter and I haven't read it yet. And I, I feel like I'm missing something, even though I'm totally not. But if you, that said, if you didn't read Asunder, you missed out on Cole's backstory. Which I'm going to read soon. I don't. I'm not a huge fan of Cole anyway. Yeah, <laughs> I'm curious. That book is that book is weird structurally. Okay, so our closer for the night is the Ega Kickstarter thing. It's pretty. Well, it's sort of weird. The trailer was hilarious. Well, the trailer, the, the Kickstarter pitch video is hilarious, and I'm glad that he got funded. But it's just sort of weird that you know he he quit his job at Konami to do exactly the thing he always tried to convince Konami he could. Mm-hmm. Well, I think more to yeah. the point, part of the problem with Konami being Konami... Is Konami. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, but the, the reality is, I think, I, the, if you remember the time he departed, like, Iga, and, and I'm a huge fan of the Castlevania franchise, in particular the Metroidvania games, he was the sole force keeping Castlevania alive for, like, a decade and a half, really. Um, <laughs> without him, I don't think it would have the respect or reverence it, it does today, because the 3D games, up until the the recent... Um, the, the recent games well, Mercury Steam did those the I recent think, ones I think so the Lords of Shadow yeah. 
up, up, up until those games came out, no one was really talking about Castlevania, if not in relation to one of Iga's works. And, and they're all really quality, as far as I'm concerned. But I think Castlevania was coming at it from a, oh, this is too niche, not enough people are going to buy this, why are we wasting our time developing isn't real this? games right now. Yeah, everyone wants a big-budget God of War-like title, which is exactly what they ultimately got. <laughs> so, like, I, I can see being an auteur, if we're going to use that terminology. Well, I, think, I think there are game design auteurs, and I think there are... I, and I, I would argue that, that Iga is one of them. Uh, it, it being in his position and, and wanting to develop that kind of game and not having access to a franchise because the publisher that you currently work for or doesn't believe in it you know there's a fan base there your only real option is to strike out on your own well i mean we saw something similar with mighty number nine and people keep assuming ukulele ukulele (laughs) uh people keep assuming kojima is going to kickstart not metal gear i'm like no he's done with metal gear he's going to kickstart snatcher 2 I was, I was just about to say he's going to kickstart a Snatcher sequel. <laughs> yeah, like it's going to be Snatcher or Police Knots or yeah, Zone of the Enders. It's not going to be <laughs> It's not going to be another metal. It'd be kind of cool if it was Zone of the Enders. It would be kind of cool if it was Zone of the Enders. But anyway, uh, I'm really excited for Iga. As I'm sure you can all expect, I contributed heavily to it. Yes. I won't tell you how much I spent, but I was really close to buying a stained glass window. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember I asked you, said, please don't ask me. I'm, I'm, I'm I'm not ashamed, but I can't tell you. <laughs> I, I will share it on Facebook, but I won't share what cheer I backed on. I know someone else who did the same thing, or a different thing. A couple different things. I get the surprises wow. in the mail later. What the hell is this? I think I can start... What tier? I'm not telling you. Good night. <laughs> You're crazy. <laughs> Mac, so but your thoughts on this Kickstarter thing? Uh, you have an amiibo problem, buddy. Let's not even go there. Yeah, shut don't, up. Don't you talk. Shut don't up. you talk. Shut up. shut up. I think I'm the only one here who doesn't have a real legit problem here, but you know. <sighs> Take a shot, by the way. Yeah. As far as this goes, more power to him. Um, haven't been a huge follower of you know, ego stuff, but I'm interested in checking this out. I'm not going to back it. Um, unless one of the basement Kickstarter stretch goals turns out to be like a Vita port, in which case then <laughs> I would consider it. Um, Take but, a drink. <laughs> yeah. And if it does, it's going to be delayed anyway, so it wouldn't be coming out at launch, just knowing the way things like that tend to go. So, yeah, I mean, they've got plenty of money. They don't need my extra at this point. The $2.4 million that they've got currently is more than enough. I'll just watch the video again. I like the video a lot. I mean, <laughs> I'd like to play it, but I'm not going to back it. Probably. It's something, I'll, it's something I'll probably grab, but at this point it doesn't need my help. Yeah. But, uh, it's I'm, close to going over the $2.5 stretch goal mark, and when it hits the basement goals, I'm betting one of them will be ports, and then I will be tempted. Yeah. That, that, that's, uh, and the reason I bring up Eos Kickstarter is next month's episode is about Kickstarter in the RPG sphere and how fans go nice. crazy. Okay! Until next time, uh, leave your comments on the RPG Gamer forums. You can, uh, give us reviews on iTunes. 
or if you have a podcasting service of choice that also lets you give stars, do that too. Feel free to tweet all of us. You can find us on the Twitters. Or at least you can tweet at RPGamer with commentary. We check that too. We do? I do. Okay, one of us does. Max does as well, so... It's a, it's a good thing I don't really have access to that Twitter account. I just yell at everyone. Yeah. <laughs> There's a reason I won't give you permission for something, sweetie. <laughs> Alright. So we'll talk to you all soon. Yay! It's done. It's over. Now, it give, is. now give me back Big Sis. <laughs> Good night, you all. Good night, I'll everyone. The Active Topical Banter Show is an RP Gamer production, all rights reserved. Visit rpgamer.com for contact info, discussions, and other great content. Music by Nubuo Ematsu, arrangements courtesy of ocremix.com. because I actually read the notes in advance of the show. So do you, need, you don't need a link? <laughs> I have the link. I have it. I have it bookmarked. It's a miracle. I'm looking for the... Oh, I already have the link up. Okay. Who the fuck is, who the fuck is Mac Walters? Test one, two. Hi. I have no pants. Trent, where's your pants? Are they off? I am wearing pants. Take them off. Oh. Proverbially. Proverbial. Oh, we're we're like half a second in, and Sam's already buggered the whole thing up. (laughs) Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. I can't, Sam. I I just want this awkwardness to last. Well, I'm the queen of the Mushroom Kingdom. That's what I've decided today. You know what? Screw you, Toadstool or Princess Peach. Let's keep going here. Who wants to be my cohort and jester? Still waiting on the answer to that one. Nope. <laughs> Do you want to count us off again, Scott? <laughs> oh. I'm sorry. I was going to scavenge that. <laughs> but I, if I would, uh, let's start over. I'm sorry. So, welcome at three, two, one. <laughs>